Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we will be talking about From a Certain Point of View by, well, by a lot of people. There's over 40 authors, and I'm not going to list every single one of them because we'll be here all night. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and with me, of course, as always, are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Shank. So over to you, Chad. This is just your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We will expect you to have either done the reading or to not care about spoilers. In the course of this discussion, we will also spoil a great many things Star Wars, up to and including the latest episode of The Bad Batch or whatever you're not caught up on. We probably are, and we may spoil it. So that has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, what's uh, what's going around the hole in it these days? Surprisingly, when I sat down to make my notes, there was more going on than I had thought. The Dave Filoni change of title. It went around, you know, that he is now an executive creative officer, I think is the title, and that he's been in this position for a year and everybody freaked out. Look, this is not a big deal. He is not the creative executive. There are two others, um, Doug Chang and John Null. Doug is an artist that's designed a lot of the prequel stuff. And then John Null is ILM. He is responsible for pitching Rogue One. So, I mean, yeah, it's... Those are both longtime Lucasfilm guys. It's, it's a change of title. They're bringing some, you know, Filoni in because he is working on so many things. But yeah. this definitely isn't like a case like the internet was making of he's running Star Wars now or anything like that. It probably doesn't change anything, but I, I do like knowing that he's been kind of yeah, that he's being recognized. Yeah, I feel like it's like a title of respect, more or less. Like, yeah. I mean, at this point, he's got Ahsoka, Boba Fett, Mandalorian, Bad Batch. Like, he's got all the big stuff right now. People can credit Favreau, but come on, like this whole thing is this whole thing is Filoni's, mm-hmm. right? It's the, everything that is spiraling out, all the TV. He's been doing this long form Star Wars television storytelling for years now. Now they're finally rolling it into live action, but it's really no different. And I kind of get the feeling that's what this is. It's kind of a separation with Doug and John on the movie side, possibly, and him on the TV side, because the TV side's getting so much bigger. Yeah, he's kind of like what they made Jeff Johns with at DC there for a while, right? Exactly. Hopefully it'll work out a little better than it did for <laughs> <Yeah>. Jeff Johns. <laughs> and other fun director news, a big deal was made out of J.J. Abrams' little interview he did. Um <laughs> <laughs> where he said that it might have been better to have a plan. It's another one of those things, if you really read what he said, it's not as crazy as the headlines are making it. I think it's interesting that the sequel trilogy is not getting like the post-year shine that the prequels did. And it doesn't seem like they're going to. I don't know. Maybe they will, but... If you remember when Rise of Skywalker came out, and the reviews were, you know, fairly bad. JJ even said, no, some of those reviews are completely legit. He was completely aware that he had not done his best or that they had not done their best. He knows they didn't stick the landing. Yeah. I'm not sure if, I mean, I know they've heard the criticism, but Weiss and Benioff probably still think like, no, that was the ending we were shooting for. But here's the problem. Without a plan, they didn't know what end they were shooting for. Right. (laughs) I agree. I, I read through the article. It's not nearly as damning. It's still funny. Yeah. 
And it's still true. When they write the book about the making of the sequel trilogy, and someone will at some point, the big question is going to be, where was the plan? When they sat down and decided to do this, it seems like their plan was to just let each different director, because it was going to be three different directors, just kind of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. That's not what makes the others work. That's not how serial storytelling works. Well, and that's what kills me is, okay, so how can you possibly spend part of your movie picking on what Ryan Johnson's choices when right. you didn't have a plan for him to go off of. So the choices that he made, he just made them. And now you're going to go pick on them rather than just continue on with whatever story you think you want to tell. Nope, you're going to waste time backtracking. It's also, though, insane to put him in that situation. Here's the thing about J.J. Abrams. The Lost Pilot is one of the greatest two hours of television I've ever seen. He is a huge idea guy. Sometimes on the execution, he can get lazy and it falls apart on him. His first Star Trek movie is really solid. I mean, you know, if you don't like the setup or whatever, fine. I enjoyed that movie. It's a really solid action movie. The second one was terrible. Mm hmm. It wasn't just not good. It was terrible. And he couldn't follow it up. It's like he's really good at getting something off the ground. But when he has to kind of maintain it or bring it home, it seems like it falls apart on him. I'm not even questioning that. My question is, we're going to do three different movies by three different filmmakers with seemingly minimal communication. That's what I find astounding. Mm. Ryan Johnson clearly didn't like Force Awakens. Okay, it's not just that J.J. didn't like Last Jedi. (laughs) Ryan Johnson didn't like Force. No, Man. it's it's a whole trilogy of one-upmanship. And eventually, and it was originally going to be a third director coming in to then what cap off the saga in whatever way they felt fit, even if it didn't match the other two movies. That's insane to me. Those two visions are so contradictory. Like you've got one nostalgia movie, and then you've got the next one that is a clearly let the past die. Movie. Yeah, that is a huge. You could have had three directors, I think, with three different ideas, but not with that core belief of what it should be being so different. People look at the original trilogy and they see three different directors, but it's one vision. Right. It's one story. If I could have bet money on anything, I would bet they would at least have known how it was going to end when they started. And it sounds yeah. like they didn't. I don't like to criticize her because of the type of criticism that she most commonly gets. But that's a failure in leadership at Kathy Kennedy's part. Mm-hmm. That is a failure to not see this for what it needed to be. I thought they were going to do what Marvel did, and instead they kind of did what DC does. Yeah, good point. Where everybody kind of just made their own movie. While there's something to be said for that, it ends up being an unsatisfying experience. So it is It is much more, I don't know, I wish they copied Marvel a little more heavily. So. Speaking of the last movie, have yeah. y'all seen the changes to Rise of Skywalker. I read an article about it. I'm not in any hurry to rewatch Rise of Skywalker anytime soon. Some color stuff. Yeah, I fast forwarded to see it. It does look better. And does it? they took that kind of weird tealish hue that the end of the movie has out and it looks a little sharper. They also fixed the subtitles, and put the correct Jedi in, which was a good idea. Yeah, the color looks better. It's worth checking out. I mean, it's probably not worth watching the whole movie, but. I have a question. Will they replace my Saga 4K Blu-ray box set? <laughs> no, they're going to sell you a new one. I mean, that's bullshit. <laughs> in other funny director news. We found out that Zack Snyder had a Star Wars movie planned. <laughs> oh, God. It was it was before the sequels. Apparently, it was not long after the prequels they approached him. And uh, <sighs> he was going to make a Kurosawa-inspired Star Wars movie. Apparently, he's moving forward with the story just not set in Star Wars. As bad as I know it is, 
lore do I want to see slow motion lightsaber fight? Just uh, you see, you guys are laughing. I'm totally here for this. I just watched. I watched Army of the Dead a few weeks ago. No, but this is 300 Zack Snyder. That's true. Yeah. I like 300 Zack Snyder. That's my favorite film of his. So if you could take that crazy aesthetic, you know, or something similar, I I would actually want to see that movie. Yeah, it would have been something. Moving over to the comics, like Chad said in the beginning, this is going to spoil a comic that literally came out today. That literally came out a week ago. However long that was. When this airs. A week ago. So if you remember last episode during the new segment, we dogged all over War of the Bounty Hunter. They somehow found a way to make it intriguing. (laughs) And her name is Kira. Yep. I mean, it opens up so much. This stupid comic better now just be about Kira and Boba Fett just go somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I care about. Like, that would be great. But yeah, it's it's cool to see her back. She's one they've kind of hid on the back burner. And she's the big bad. Yeah. At least the first big bad of this whole saga. You know, I was telling you before we started, like they did a really great job with the art because they hide her face through most of the issue and then they kind of reveal her at the end. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she takes the hood off, you're like, oh, yeah, OK, there's my Khaleesi. They nailed it with the art. You knew who it was instantly. Uh, moving over to Disney Plus, just a couple of quick hits on Disney Plus. First of all, I'd like to say that Rancor and Bad Batch is not from Return of the Jedi. Stop saying it. Moochie is another Rancor. It's not Patissa. <laughs> Have they clarified that? Okay, good. All right. I was a little worried. Another interesting thing, they released a still from Andor. They're filming in Scotland, and it sure does look like Dantooine, especially some of the early concept art for Dantooine back in some of the visual guides and stuff. Oh, that makes sense. So it looks like we're heading there. That, that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. If we're going back just a couple of steps in the rebellion. Yep. Dantooine. And then I couldn't, I don't think we talked about this last one because it happened like right around before we recorded. Did we talk about Rangers of the Republic is canceled? No. I don't think we did. We didn't. Rangers of the Republic is off the table. Yeah, everybody was trying to figure out how they were going to do it without, you know, her. Do we have confirmation that that was going to be her show? Yeah. Now, I was hoping that they would just turn it into the Trapper Wolf show, but apparently that is not to be. Where's Bill Burr's show? Yeah. Yeah, I'd watch him. And then in our final segment, so if you remember last week, we were trying to come up with new titles for our rumor segment. This week's possible name entry (laughs) is going to be called The Fake Holonet. It spurs from a character that we will not be revealing yet. (laughs) However, it's very exciting and coming soon. (laughs) But yeah, so on The Fake Holonet, the rumors are going around again about what the Lando show is going to be and how they're going to do it. The current thing that's going around for some pretty reputable people is that the framing device of the show is going to be Lando and Luke hunting down Ochi. Oh, okay. Sith assassin who went after Rey. Who's been in the comics recently. Right. And that's going to be kind of the frame. And then it's going to do kind of, I guess, the... Calrissian Chronicles, but they are going to use material for that that was initially pitched for Solo 2 and 3. Will that involve Han? Probably not. But you could put Kira there. It just seems so lame that they're not calling it the Calrissian Chronicles. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that. Do they get Mark Hamill? The rumors say they're going to use the same kind of CGI they used for Mandalorian. To make him look the same age he is now? That or use Sebastian Stan like everybody thinks they're going to. But, okay, so here's my thing about that is Sebastian Stan does not look any younger. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So how is he the young Luke? He doesn't look any younger than Luke of that era. 
No, but he looks younger than Mark Hamill does now. Well, but he also looks a little bit a little bit too much older than Mark Hamill would be even five years after Jedi. It's not going to happen. I know. To me, it would make more sense to have it be him and Xana. Yeah. Maybe that's just no, nothing past Rise of Skywalker. Like that would be technically happening. That would have to take place after Rise of Skywalker. And they do not want to touch that. So that is all our news for the week. Yeah. For the 40th anniversary of A New Hope, 40-plus authors bring us 40 stories of the sidelined, never-lined, or never-seen characters and action. We've got old authors. Well, not old authors, but authors whose names I know, like (laughs) Christy Golden, Ray Carson, John Jackson Miller, Claudia Gray, Chuck Wendig, Delilah S. Dawson, Daniel Jose Older. Will Wheaton. I'd say he crushed his story, though. (laughs) Um, Pablo Hidalgo, Kevin Scott, Paul S. Kemp, Alexander Freed, Charles Sewell, E.K. Johnson, and Ashley Eckstein. And those are just the ones that I know of. I am sure a lot of those guys had things to do with comics. You can tell Beth is not a comic reader because she skipped all the comic book writers. Pretty much. Well, mm-hmm. even if even if I recognize the name, if I haven't read what they've done, I'm skipping them just because I don't know what they've done. They've even brought in Pierce Brown. He writes a lot about uh, a series about Mars. So Tatooine seems like the perfect place to bring him in. I've even got a note here that says, pause while you get yelled at by um, <laughs> the guys for not having read the comics. We have never yelled at you for doing Never that. yelled at me. And you've no. never shamed me, but no. you school me. We just inform you. Beth, do you know who uh, Matt Fraction is? Do you know what he's most famous for? <laughs> is, is it something to do with Plo Koon? No. It's credited with probably the best run of Hawkeye that's ever existed. <sighs> hate you so much. We're never going to get to move past this, are we? I'm going to be stuck with this for the rest of my life, aren't I? It's likely. Are you up for this? Are you? Look, I just need to know because the city is flying. Okay, look, the city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. Moving away from Hawkeye as quickly as possible, stories in this book range from Chad's favorite Force Ghosts to Stormtroopers to Jawas to X-Wing pilots. Now, obviously, three people can't cover all of that alone. So tonight we've got a very special guest. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Gary Mitchell. Hey, everybody. So you, you skip Paul Denny? But I don't know who that is. Who is that? Please tell me. He is just simply one of the minds behind Batman, the animated series. One of the best Batman creators. He is, if I'm not mistaken, one of the co-creators of Harley Quinn. Yeah, he's Harley's daddy. Yeah. I like Batman, the animated series. I just did not know who that was. I'm not skipping anyone out of spite. I promise. It's just a lack of knowledge because mm. I just can't read everything. I try. Like Jason Fry's in there too, yeah. I think. Right? He write, he writes a lot of the Star Wars like legends, like our um, like nonfiction. I don't know what to call them. The source books, right? Mm. But were you about to say nonfiction? The ones that are written like nonfiction. Okay. Like the the visual guides, the yeah. history of things like that. Gotcha. Did you want me to mention every single of the forty plus oh, authors? God, no. We'll wait. <laughs> 
I don't know how many of you guys have read anything by Pierce Brown, if at all. That name probably means nothing to you, but I mentioned it because I know who that is. And hey, I'm running this show, so... I highly recommend the audiobook in this. It features old standbys like Jonathan Davis and Mark Thompson, but also Daniel Jose Older reads his own story. We've got Saskia Marleveld, who did the audiobook of Leia, Princess of Alderaan, January Lavoie, who did Phasma. We've also got John Hamm and uh, Neil Patrick Harris, or if you like to call him NPH. NPH wrote a story in this book? He just read it. Which one did he read? I didn't even recognize his voice. I recognized his voice. He did one of the Imperial officers. A weapon was meant to be fired. Every military man could tell you that. Treat all weapons as charged. Never assume a blaster was set simply to stun and not kill. General Cassio Tag chief of the Imperial Army knew that. So what we're going to do here tonight is we've each chosen a few stories that we'd like to talk about in depth, our own personal favorites. We're just going to go around the group and uh, one by one talk about each of these and and then maybe throw in a few honorable mentions or a few maybe that we did not care for quite as much because there's nothing in this book that is bad. Chad? There's a couple of things that are flat out bad. I'm with Chad. Trying to be positive here. People come down on me for being negative. I'm trying to be positive. But okay, so there's some stories here that are not great. We are very positive on the show. We tease out of love, but we're very positive. Except for Free Fall. Screw that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, it's like this. It's like I some of these stories are fun. Did I need a story telling me why the one stormtrooper bumped his head into the doorway? No. Did I enjoy it? Also, no. But it was fun to read. This is such a Star Wars thing to do. This is a little reminiscent of in the 90s when we had Tales from the Mos Eisley mm. Cantina, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tales of the Bounty Hunters, and Tales from Jabba's Palace. This is in that same vein. Yeah. The majority of these, even the ones that I'm not 100% behind, the majority of them, their existence does not bother me. I'm okay for having read them once. I can forget they exist and move along. Along. But there are several that are fantastic. Yes. There are a bunch that are just pretty good. There are some that are okay. And then there's Baru. Yeah. There's more than that, but there's a (laughs) few that could just not have ever been... The biggest thing I was afraid of going into this is that someone was going to write some story about one side character who's just as, if not more important than the main cast, and we just didn't see their movie. Because I've seen that so many times in these kind of books, and I was so glad that didn't happen. No, most of these people don't mean shit. Yeah. Most of these people are, are fairly inconsequential, yeah. which is, of course, part of the part of the idea. Going through these stories is like, I really feel the subtitle of the book should have been These Poor Bastards, because so many of them go to a bad end. <laughs> <laughs> so many of them die. At least half of these stories end with the lead character dying. Mm-hmm. A lot of people is... die in A New Hope. I mean, fair. The one that upset me the most, the, the character didn't die, but it's what happened. But I, I don't know if I should save it for later, but it's the Will Wheaton story. I got a, a bone to pick with the ending of that story. You can you can pick all the bones you want with Will Wheaton. I know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It kicks you in the dick at the last second. Yeah. But Gary, since you are our guest, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your first choice? All right. Well, my first choice is I'm going to go low to high and I'm going to start with Contingency Plan which is by Alexander Freed, and it's about Mon Mothma. Uh, The basic gist of it is right as the Death Star is showing up to Yavin, they go, yeah, you're in charge. We need to get you the hell out of here because this is going to go bad. And the whole thing is her thinking about, okay, so the Empire is going to wipe out the rebellion. Her rebel alliance, the revolution she built on a foundation of bones, will cease to be. The murder of Alderaan, 
the defeat at Yavin and the surrender of its commander-in-chief will be blows the organization cannot recover from. There will be Imperial cleanup operations, but no more planets will die. Why should they, when the Emperor has everything he's ever desired? The reason I really like it is it does give a little bit of a touch of realism. It gives us a little bit on Mothma. And I do love the way she plots out, okay, well, I'm going to do this to save people's lives. I'm going to be humiliated. I'll be forgotten. I thought it was a really interesting character study, especially knowing that we do that, you know, she's completely wrong. What it's doing, first of all, is it's telling us why she's not on Yavin 4 during the battle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's basically gaming possible scenarios of what's going to happen if we lose or and, and going through several different ones. And you're right. I think it's it's a really interesting way. And it also shows her it shows her politician's mind. I liked this story. My only problem with it was really when Mon Mothma's telling her aide that, you know, she owes Bale. I owe her father, Mon says. Bale owed you. So does she. But Bale got blowed up. So <laughs> yeah, Bale doesn't owe anybody anything anymore. That's rude. <laughs> yeah, because they know Bale's gone. And even if you don't know it, this book is going to tell you many, many times that Alderaan was destroyed. Yes. And I always like seeing more Mon Mothma. I like when they flesh her out a little bit, and it's one of the things I'm looking forward to in Andor. I'm also interested in seeing, I was trying to think, have we seen many stories, and I, I couldn't think of the offhand, that deal with the immediate aftermath of him dissolving the Senate? I have just received word that the Emperor has dissolved the Council permanently. The last remnants of the Old Republic have been swept away. Because that's, I mean, there was no. only a few lines in that one, but I thought that was really interesting that all of a sudden she's gone from a yeah. senator to... Guerrilla leader. Yeah. And what that kind of change was really like for her. It's one of the reasons I'm really enjoying The Bad Batch is this is a period in Star Wars that we don't have a lot on that fascinates me. I want to see that changeover from the Republic to the Empire and what was happening at this particular moment. Let's go with Shrek. So the first one I picked was Rights by John Jackson Miller, yeah. in which they answer the important question... Are sand people that stupid that they think that's a crate dragon and not some dude in a robe waving his arms around making some noise? So we get to follow <laughs> a Koba who has just done his janky crate trial. He like kills a baby one. We get to see our friend Ayark again from the Obi-Wan book and basically says, do not go into the scary canyon. There's a wizard. I, I like that. It kind of goes through like that. It's not just that noise that scares him off. Like he's projecting fear somehow. The sound had come from the northeast. All three Tuscans looked in that direction simultaneously, fully expecting to see the vengeful parent of the beast they had slain the day before. That in this place would mean their deaths. Yet what they beheld was far more unexpected. A figure, cloaked in brown, face invisible beneath a pointed hood. A figure that in no world the Tuscans knew could ever make such a sound. The Shaman. And making them feel that it's there, like they can see him, but they still feel like there's a crate around there and they need to get out of there. Well, also that they're superstitious. And so yeah. if they scoff at the idea of this wizard, but then this wizard shows up. You know, and, and makes the noise. And so that the combination of those two things is enough to scare him away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, this is a story about the Tuscan Raiders that beat the shit out of Luke, right? Yes. I just man like seeing New York again because then it makes me think everyone is still somewhat in canon. I like seeing the authors being able to import some of their characters. 
Mm-hmm. They kind of reference Ben as being this crazy old wizard, so I like that you kind of see parts of those stories that who believes it. Yeah, and it, it makes the sand people more like space barbarians as opposed to space rednecks. <laughs> you don't have to be a redneck to sit out by the pod race track with your rifle, <laughs> kick back a few beers, and take a few pot shots at some pods. I don't know what the problem is. Looks like a few Tuscan Raiders are camped out on the Canyon Dune turn. I, I also liked it because it related to the Kenobi novel. Mm-hmm. No surprise. Me too. But I am not the person on this show who picked an Obi-Wan Kenobi story, so... You didn't pick any Obi-Wan Kenobi story? No. Wow. I picked two. I oh, know. Okay. All right. I, I got one. Fangirl that. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I saw him on Good Morning America with this new rugged beard. Mm. I'll be in my bunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chad, what you got? Okay, the first one I'm going to talk about is The Trigger by Kieran Gillen. Good for nothing, disaster magnet Dr. Chelly Afra finds herself scavenging on Dantooine when the Imperials arrive to follow up on the feudal red herring that Leia fed to Moff Tarkin. I grow tired of asking this, so it'll be the last time. Where is the rebel base? Dantooine. On Dantooine. It didn't work and ended up blowing up Alderaan. Anyway, instead of blasting her way out after surrenders and after a meeting with General Tog, is sentenced to death uh, by the Imperial officer. Chelly is marched outside by a stormtrooper, kind of Miller's Crossing style, if you've ever seen that movie. And uh, she does what she does best. She talks and schemes. By speaking to the trooper's better nature, she manages to stall her death until she is able to turn the tables on him, but... Unable to murder him in cold blood, she lets him live and escapes Dantooine, surviving to steal shit and betray friends another day. I picked this because, one, Kieran Gillen created Dr. Aphra for the Darth Vader comics. But what I really liked was taking that moment in A New Hope where Leia says, They're on Dantooine. And showing that they actually followed up on Dantooine and what was there. And I also really enjoyed Aphra's thoughts on the Rebellion and the Empire. There's a moment in the story where she says, why can't we just have a better empire? Afra had always defended the empire as the best available choice, better than anarchy. Today, the empire had destroyed a planet, worse than a war's cost in an afternoon. She had no idea what to do with these feelings. Maybe when they had chilled, she could justify it. What's one planet if it cements a real peace? That sounds like the sort of logic she'd turn to. The needs justify the ends and all that. But right now, she just wished there could be a better empire and wished there was someone who could do that. You know, like she doesn't mind the empire. She doesn't mind the order that they impose. She just wishes they were better people. So I thought she kind of gave some good ground level thoughts on the rebellion and the empire. Having not read any of those comics, the first thing I wondered was, is Thane from Lost Stars in this group of troopers that just caught her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because those characters are everywhere when everything happens. And he was on Dantooine, so... But having no connection to Aphra, that was the only way I could connect it to a larger story for me. It's just such an Aphra story. She gets out of it just by lying Mm -hmm. and talking. And yeah, she's appealing to the Stormtrooper's best nature, but she doesn't really mean it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, she's just... She's stalling. Her luck got her into this kind of situation. Her luck got her out of it. That was how it worked. A voice inside her added a taunting... That's how it works until it doesn't. So, is this the first time you've executed someone? She asked, voice breaking. Don't speak, prisoner, said the trooper. His voice was unsteady too. 
Okay. Afra could work with that. I liked her thought patterns, though, where she's like, oh, this might actually be me getting dead. I, I need to do something about this. Mm -hmm. I do think you're troubled, he said. And I suspect the world would be better off without you. Oh, no. She wasn't going to live. She was going to do the opposite of that. Where she's at right there with the why can't there just be a better empire thing. It kind of leads directly into where the comic starts, where she's going to work for Vader and realize, whoops, no, the Empire is not so hot. Have you read any of the comics, Gary? I read Vader, uh, so I'm familiar right. with her. I forget where I tapped out. In, oh, I, typed, I tapped out right after Vader down because that was, that was really good. And I was like, I need to stop for a while. And so I, I'm familiar with the character. I think she's fantastic. I want the figure. So I enjoyed the story quite a bit just for the same reasons you listed, being inside her head and her like trying to figure her way out of this. All right, Beth, what's your first pick? I am going to follow Gary in the least to most favorite. So I will start with Grounded, which is one of the many, many, many Battle of Yavin stories. But it is not a in the thick of the action battle story because this is the story of a young Rebel Alliance mechanic named Nira Kaze, when, and that's terrible because I listened to the audiobook and don't remember how to pronounce her name. She is keeping track of the ships she and her team take care of as they go up to face off against the Death Star. She is sitting there listening to the audio with everyone else, but from a completely different point of view. She is not coming at it from a tactical, are we going to win standpoint. She is coming at it from a, are my ships still alive? Are my people still alive? So she's listening to all of her people, all of the ships that her people take care of, all of the pilots her people take care of, getting shot down one after the other. I've got a problem here, Red Six said. Inject, Red Two said. I can hold it. Case looked through the board to where Was had, even in the poor light at the edges of the room, gone pale. Red Six was one of his ships, tended by his crew. Pull up! Red Two, almost shouting now. No, I'm all right. There was a flash of static as Red Six's comm channel flared out, almost in time, but not before everyone heard him start to scream. She's already been through Scarif, so she knows loss, and she knows why they don't have the numbers they should have to go up against the Death Star. So she and her crew chiefs are listening to the assault, watching the map. They're seeing the exact same thing we see through the eyes of Leia and General Dodonna, but we're seeing it from a completely different point of view because she's watching the battle through the eyes of loss, whereas they're seeing it through the eyes of can we still win? So she hears, she hears Porkins die. She's, she's watching Wedge almost die over and over and over again. She sees Biggs die. She doesn't even know Luke, but she's upset at the fact that he's about to die too. So when Han Solo swoops in with the Millennium Falcon and saves everybody and, and then everyone else goes off to celebrate and it's a huge party, she collapses in grief, not over the fact that, oh my God, it's over, we won, but okay, but I just lost all of these people. And it's a good story because it's from such a different standpoint than we normally see in our giant space wars. A different point of view, you might say? Yes, you might. It's a nice contrast to Luke hopping out of his X-Wing and cheering, yelling Carrie, I believe. Um, if yeah. you, were, uh, you can hear. It's, it's a lot different from that moment where it's 
also natural and also makes sense that they would be exhilarated that they just won. But Luke's coming back like with like, what, 10% of the people that he went out there with? Yeah. <laughs> and Wedge barely survived. His best friend gets killed. Um, everybody else dies with three fighters make it out of it. Mm-hmm. It is a nice contrast to show someone actually acknowledging the loss. I would say, though, that Leia and Dodonna, they can't stop and do that. That's their jobs as the boss. They don't get to do that. But it's it's nice to see that some somewhere there is still that person who is acknowledging the loss and, and lives with the loss. And not that Leia and Dodonna you know, just brush it off. But there's someone who doesn't have a, a choice. They don't have to be the, the leader. They can let themselves break down. And they do. Leia should be in a comatose state after Alderaan. If Cara Dune can lose everyone <laughs> and be so stoic about it. I'm sorry, right? We don't talk oh, about her anymore. Oh, no, because okay, that's one of the best lines in the entire Mandalorian. <laughs> Says here you're from Alderaan. I served during Alderaan. Did you lose anyone? Everyone! Everyone! Nope. I I would have paid good money for her to do that like Gary Oldman in The Professional. (laughs) (laughs) I think my favorite moment was her running down the what they had done to repair the ships and her just dragging herself over the emotional coals of did that ship blow up because we didn't fix that wiring. She carried with her every pilot fallen in combat. And she carried their crews as well, bearing their grief atop her own. Their sorrow when their pilots failed to return. Their self-recrimination and self-doubt. All the hours lost wondering if there was something more that could have been done or should have been done, or worst of all, something they failed to do. Another tweak of the deflector shields, an extra boost to engine efficiency, a higher cycle rate on the laser cannons. Something, anything that would have brought their pilots safely back home. Yeah, where she was writing like a cause of death list. Yeah. But she was keeping track of why each one went down. Mm-hmm. Tie. Flack. Tie. 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 Flack. Tie. 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 There's a little bit of a runner that I think goes in a couple of these stories that Wedge's ship was a little... Mm-hmm. Jacked up. Yeah, one of the stabilizers is messed up. He shouldn't have been flying it in the first place. And I think that's in another story. Or is it in this one? I don't remember. There's so many stories about this battle, but there there's, there's something wrong with that ship in the first place. And he shouldn't have been flying it, but he flew it anyway. And, mm-hmm. and so when it all, when the stabilizers blew out, it was like, oh, crap, we knew that was going to happen. But darn that wedge. Oh, we're going to talk about the Battle of Yavin at least two more times. <laughs> well, that does remind me one question I had is. Do you guys think this book needed a little bit of a better editor, though? Because there was a few different contradictions, and this is what one of them. Because there's duty roster where the ships about the guy who's grounded. And he right. makes a point of saying every single ship we've got is up there. And that's why two or three pilots like me are stuck here and can't help in the battle. And then we cut to her and her story. She's like every ship, even if it wasn't 100 percent, went up. Matt Martin from the Lucasfilm Story Group mm-hmm. confirmed that the contradictions are present. There are contradictions in there. But he says, now I don't believe this, but this is nice little retconning, that that's intentional because of the nature of the project being different points of view. Uh, I would say, though, that's just a fact. (laughs) That's not a point of view thing. That's a fact. But that's the way they're dismissing kind of the the contradictions is they're like, oh, but it's a Rashomon. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. Reading the Battle of Yavin, 
always seems more desperate or one-sided than seeing it in the movie does, which I like. Like, the visual of seeing all the X-Wings makes it look like, oh yeah, look at all these starfighters. This is going to be a huge battle. Where in the book, they're like, yeah, there's like the worst screwed. Like, and I like that a lot. It's my favorite sequence in all of Star Wars in the movies. It's my favorite sequence is the Battle of Yavin because I think it is so well-constructed and also just as a kid, I didn't know, of course, the good guys won. Mm -hmm. You don't know that when you're four years old. And so I was terrified for that last 20 minutes, just absolutely terrified. Red six, do you see red five? There's a heavy fire zone on this side. Red five, where are you? I can't shake it. I'm on him, Luke. The whole reason I'm sitting here talking to you now is because I'm four years old. I have no idea what's going to happen. And so when Han shows up. I have you not. What? Look out. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home changed my entire life as an adult you go like oh of course the you know hooker with a heart of gold is going to come back mm-hmm. i didn't know that and it blew my entire world apart there is a lot of battle of yavin in this fortunately i am a fan of the battle but uh, i agree with you they did a good job of making the stakes seem like or not the stakes but the odds seem very very bad well and i i appreciate that we get the reference of everybody's just coming off a of scarif yeah i really like that scarif existing and this having been written after rogue one even, I mean, Gary Witta, the one of the screenwriters on Rogue One, writes the first story in this book. Being able to incorporate Scarif into the story of the Alliance, I thought was a real boon for this book. And what this book did really well is kind of connect those two. Well, it, it helps a lot with explaining why they're so shorthanded, why they're so desperate, why they are such they're in such a bad place. And this is their last ditch effort. And also why why we're starting the story now, because Scarif is the first major battle of the Galactic Civil War. It's kind of also why we're starting the story, you know, is this war has now started for, for real. They're coming in. Three marks at 210. All right. Well, that takes us around back to Gary. All right. My number two slot is a lovely little story uh, from near the end of the book called The Angle by Charles Soul. Soul. I hope I'm saying that gentleman's name right. On this show, we pronounce it about five different ways. Mm-hmm. One of them's probably correct. The Soul Man writes a story about Lando, post-Battle of Yavin, who is in a casino gambling den trying to make money because he's dead broke. And the Imperials come in, bust the place up, and are in a very bad mood. And then Lando makes his way out of there, finds hooks up with Lobot. And finds out the Imperials are in a bad mood because the Death Star just got blown up. Watching the footage, the only thing that really matters about it to Lando is seeing his ship and spends the rest of the story trying to figure out what the hell is Han doing? Han Solo, of all people. Yeah. I really liked it because, A, I always love more Lando. And I kept flipping back and forth in my head between seeing Danny Glover and... Diplomatic community. just been revoked. 
Hoot or Donald Glover and Danny Glover would work too. I also really liked the game, the click clack, because I could see that being a high stakes, rich gambler game of, you know, I have one card and I talk to you for 20 minutes and then place a huge bet. I want to play click clack and Dragon Con. Oh, that would be a ball. We can totally play it. I like seeing Lobot. I like that they, they're keeping the idea that Lobot's constantly in a battle to keep his tech from eating his brain. Charles Sewell, who wrote this, wrote the five-issue Lando miniseries that establishes that for Lobot. The other thing I really liked about it is it gives us an idea, a better, a good idea of what did the Battle of Yavin look like to the rest of the galaxy. What did it look like to the Imperials and all the people celebrating in the bar and yeah, we can watch this thing blow up like six times. We're fine. I like they put it out like from a first person point of view on the holonet, like somebody had a GoPro on their helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Who shot it? I'm thinking Wedge. Where is the camera? It's either Wedge or it's that Y-Wing that got away. They've got to have camera like camera probes. Yeah. They got probe droids. It just puzzles him like, why, why Han? He just can't understand it. He can't crack it. Why Han would ever even consider doing this. My only real complaint about this story I have with a few other stories as well is it feels like it's the start of something and I want more. And I don't know if that's exactly a bad thing. This feels like somebody's making a pitch for let me write a book following from here. A majority of the stories in this book aren't stories, but are interludes. Mm hmm. More so than stories. Some of them are full on, you know, have a beginning, middle and an end. And many of them are just vignettes, mm -hmm. just a touch of color. Just a, here's a here's a portrait of something off to the sides. So there's a lot of a lot of vignettes and very not very few, but in fewer what I would say actual short stories. Like the twin ladies who make the run off of uh, Tatooine It's like that's definitely a we started in the middle and we end in the middle. I like this story. It wasn't one of my favorites. I like anywhere Lando shows up. This was one of those where on the audiobook I went, um, could we not have found a black man to read this story? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lando walked to the bar, sensing the eyes of almost every being in the place watching him. He owed debts to at least half of them, raging from credits to blood. He reached the bar, then turned around and smiled. Was he trying to do Lando? Yeah. Hey, guys, long time. How about a round on me? Oh, yeah. Ooh. yeah. No. Yeah, just no. no, we shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, I get it, but yeah. That should handle it. Everything I owe you and the round for the house. I mean, what was Billy D doing? They just could have called him. He would have done it. He'd have done it in a heartbeat. All right, your turn, Ryan. All right, so for my next one, I picked Master Apprentice shockingly by Claudia Gray. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about her <laughs> reusing about her the title. Super, super original story title. Did this come out before or after the novel? Um, I think this might have been before. This was on. No, it came out in 2017 because it was a 40 year anniversary. And the novel came out. 2019. 2019. Okay, so this was before. Oh, okay. This was before right. the novel. So she took fair the, enough. So she took the title of her story and made it into the book. That's fair. Yeah. So in this story, we get to see Obi Wan after him and Luke have kind of gone back to his hut, and he calls on Qui Gon to get some advice. And we are once again thrust into how the hell do Force ghosts work? Well, first of all, it's not that. It's it's while they're cleaning up the Jawa bodies. Yeah. <laughs> that the is entire true. conversation takes place. Apparently, Ben didn't help. Apparently, Ben just let 3PO 
He walks around the back. Well, yeah. wouldn't you? Poor 3PO is just carrying these burnt Jawa corpses. Poor 3PO, what else does he contribute? I mean... I'm sorry, he is one of the heroes of the Galactic Alliance. I don't want to Hey, if without 3PO, we wouldn't have a cute little story for Ewoks to hear to get them on our side. He distracted them so the Ewoks could ambush them. What else do you need? He ran around with a, with a battle droid head on? Let's not even go down there. I'm quite beside myself. We get a lot of Obi-Wan kind of doubting himself. <laughs> I've been out in the desert. I don't know if I'm ready for this. And Qui-Gon apologizing and being like, yeah, I'm the one that failed. It's all my fault. But the kind of darker part of it is Qui-Gon. Yeah. They kind of explain a little more like when you're in the forest, you're just kind of spread over everything and not paying attention too close, I guess. And then you can kind of bring yourself together. And this one, he almost becomes corporal almost can touch things. But in the back of his head, he's like, yeah, Luke, uh, or he tells Luke's going to make it. Don't worry, he's not going to die. And then in Qui-Gon's inner voice, but you sure are soon. Obi-Wan has so little time left to live. To Qui-Gon, the death seems inevitable, almost neutral. He can even anticipate the reunion with his Padawan. But after all his losses, all his sacrifice, all these endless years in the desert... Obi-Wan Kenobi still wants more life. And yeah. doesn't like telling. Like yeah. at the end, Obi-Wan's like, I hope to see you again soon. And Pygon's like, We shall meet again soon, my Padawan. Ouch, God, come on. Because he even says he's like, uh, I can't wait to be a Jedi Knight again. And Qui-Gon's like, yeah, uh, yeah kid. Yeah, yeah about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so what? Uh, I want to put your affairs in order, you know? <laughs> I hope you have a lot of life left in me or whatever it is. He says, I hope it's a long time away. And we're all just like biting our hands. Yeah. I do like that it, it took this one really like just wedged it into this little tiny spot. Mm-hmm. where Luke is running back to the farm and Obi-Wan's having this little talk like this is happening just like when we cut away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, my favorite part, I did like when Qui-Gon was talking to Obi-Wan and they kind of acknowledged like You weren't ready to be a Jedi Master, Qui-Gon admits. You hadn't even been knighted when I forced you to promise to train Anakin. Teaching a student so powerful, so old, so unused to our ways. That might have been beyond the reach of the greatest of us. To lay that burden at your feet when you were hardly more than a boy. Basically, you were set up to fail. Like, this, you were never going to be able to do this. Now, I do question if Qui-Gon... Good pep talk, dude. Yeah. I guess all the right. Force goes. If they're all able to see the future like this and they know what's going to happen, like, how about a little more help, guys? Like, I'm sure there's some rule about it. You can't change things or whatever, but... But always in motion, the future is. <laughs> right, you could you could maybe help a little. Hey, Obi-Wan, at this particular moment, duck. <laughs> yeah. A freaking hint. I'm going to do another Force Ghost story Ooh, for my second one. My second pick is There Is Another by Gary D. Schmidt, which is a story that is based on dialogue in The Empire Strikes Back. Told you I did. Reckless to see. Now, that is our worst. That boy is our last hope. No, there is another. We find Yoda on Dagobah, puttering around to being a sad and regretful little green hermit. He muses on his desire to teach again, most specifically, though, to train Leia Organa, daughter of Anakin Skywalker, but not Luke, who he dubs angry and brash. Through the Force, he feels the death of Obi-Wan Kenobi at the hands of his former Padawan, and Yoda despairs. He can't imagine a galaxy without his old friend. He attempts to summon the presence of Qui-Gon Jinn for counsel, 
But Obi-Wan, freshly one with the Force, shows up instead, and he asks Yoda to train Luke. Yoda reluctantly agrees and prepares for the arrival of his new and final student. I liked seeing a little slice of life of Yoda on Dagobah, where he changes his homes depending on the season. I thought that was interesting. I do like that Obi-Wan did the polite thing and checked with Yoda before he sent Luke over. I thought that was good manners. My question I wanted to ask you guys is, what do you think about Yoda thinking Leia is a better candidate? Because I would argue at this point, she's the angry one. Once he had treasured his lightsaber, but that was lost in the ruins of the Senate chamber. He regretted that. It would have pleased him to have put the weapon into young Skywalker's hands. He imagined her feeling its weight, and then suddenly she would be surprised at the beam that leapt out. But she knew nothing of the Force and its ways. She had had no one to teach her. That, thought Yoda, was possibly a mistake. And the one that the most reasons to seek revenge, and while Luke is brash, have you met the junior senator from Alderaan? I saw a meme the other day, actually, yesterday, and I thought of this, where they kind of said, like, the line about he has too much of his father in him. I was just about to bring that up, yeah. That's Leia. Like, Leia is the one who is like, yeah, you know, I'm in the government, but I'm going to go ahead and just be a lawyer and lead a rebellion. But I'd say Leia's much more like Anakin. She's much more direct. She's willing to take action. She's never hidden her anger when she's... Just her her opening line to Tarkin of... Governor Tarkin, I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. I mean, that girl's brash. Brash and sometimes British. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that felt not off to me. I just thought it was interesting. It's kind of funny when he has the conversation with Obi-Wan. Basically, he says the exact same dialogue that they are going to have in Empire Strikes Back. Ready, are you? What knows you, Freddy? For 800 years have I trained Jedi. My own counter where I keep on who is to be trained. A Jedi must have the deepest commitment, the most serious mind. This one, a long time have I watched. All his life as he looked away to the future, to the horizon, never his mind on where he was, hmm? what he was doing. Hmm. Adventure. Hey, excitement. Hey, hey, Jedi craves not these things. You are reckless. Apparently they've made these arguments before, but I also just like, you know, you get a little sad Yoda. I mean... Yeah. Everyone loves Yoda and he's funny and all this stuff. But man, what a sad existence. At least Obi-Wan's got some people around. You got to move down the hill every once in a while because it's flooding. Probe droids are out there still looking for him. I did like, though, when he was like, uh, I haven't seen a probe droid in a while. Maybe they've stopped looking because who really cares? Mm -hmm. Palpatine doesn't even care anymore Mm -hmm. that Yoda's out there. No, and those probe droids honestly could have been just the ones sent out looking for bases and stuff. So. Yeah, they they might not have been looking for Jedi at all. It just could have been that they happened there. He was there. And oh, it's so sad that he's all alone, especially when Obi-Wan dies. Yoda felt Obi-Wan grow suddenly stronger and stronger and stronger and then move in a quick burst into the netherworld of the force. And Yoda felt Anakin fall even more deeply into painful loneliness. A loneliness so terrible 
that Yoda almost felt pity for him. It's just, it is very sad to see yeah. it from that point of view. It's just him. Mourn them, do not. Miss them, do not. Rejoice for those who transform into the Force. But he was lonely. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. But he was lonely and old, and he had failed. He's a great Jedi, but that's that's a hell of a burden. And for a being who's 900 years old and who has outlived pretty much everybody else just and who's by the ready nature of go. his existence. Yeah, and who and who is definitely in this story ready to go, but who has outlived everyone he's ever known. Mm-hmm. It's still like the fact that this death hits him so hard. I think it also you're you're right. He wants to go, but I think this is also reinforcing that his time is coming. Mm-hmm. You know, to him. And and it is a very sad moment where he realizes that it's very sweet and moving when he's like, "Oh, oh Obi-Wan's gone. It's very sad to him. And then and then two minutes later, he pops up and he's like, what's up? <laughs> Qui-Gon is occupied, Master Yoda, said Obi-Wan. Yoda looked up, though he hardly needed to. He suddenly felt the hut so full of life, so full of Obi-Wan, who sat cross-legged inside the doorway, shimmering. Never before so quietly have you come into a room, Master Kenobi. I don't like Force Ghosts, we know that. I didn't mind this because it's just them talking, and the other one too. Just them talking. That's fine. That's always been established, especially Obi-Wan knowing how his, for- you know, the first Force Ghost we ever see is him in the snow. Right. Ben, you will go to the Dagobah system. Dagobah system? There you will learn from Yoda. The Jedi Master who instructed me. We know that he has this ability. I'm just not clear on the rules. I thought it was a nice depiction of Yoda. And I like that it gave him at the very end. He he got a little spark. I'm sending you a student. And he's like, oh, God, not that one. He's going to be a pain in the ass. But it still gave him a little more to live for, at least for a little while longer. Yoda nestled deeply into Qui-Gon Jinn's cloak. He would sleep now. At least he would try to sleep. His eyes opened. He probably would not sleep. It was not what he had wished for. Not at all. Still, for the first time in a long time, he was eager for the next day. And it also reinforces the Jedi tradition of after you failed horribly, you run away and hide. Preferably with some fish nuns nearby. Yes. Beth, what's your second story? I am going to pick my second favorite story of my choices, and that is Eclipse by Madeleine Rue. little French, so I don't know. This is the one I ran into the chat to claim, and you had already grabbed it. I'm sorry. It's okay. We're going to talk about it either way. Queen Bria is hanging out on Alderaan, being queen, doing her queen things, worried about Bale, who's off doing rebellion stuff with their 16-year-old daughter, and we'll get to that in future episodes. 16-year-old daughter is also out doing rebellion stuff, not with her father. They're doing totally separate things. So she is worried about both of them 
while still having to run a planet. And she's got ministers, and for some reason, she allows droids to harass her. Because if I were queen, the first thing I would do would be to set all the droids to just have total access to me at all times. Especially obnoxious protocol droids to come talk to me about dresses. I mean, queen's got to worry about dresses. Mm -hmm. Bria escapes finally from all of these worries onto her balcony where she can look out at her beautiful planet mm. and look at the, the sun setting and soak it in mountain air and, and just the peacefulness. And then suddenly Bale just wanders onto their balcony and lets her know that so her daughter's dead. <laughs> and uh, He's kind of casual about it, but go ahead. And I love you. Not not even like a bunch of people went to Scarif and things got real bad and and Leia might be Leia's missing. Not just he doesn't even do that. He's just, hey, so she's dead. That ship is gone. So he's believing the Imperial reports, right? Remember, yeah. not only do we need a new ship, but we, we're going to have to get a new daughter. <laughs> yeah. The first thing he says is the Tantive is lost. Yeah. But yeah, no, because remember Vader says, uh, Senator stress signal and then inform the Senate that all aboard were killed. Right. But then also immediately after that, the Senate's disbanded. So I think she's used as an excuse to to do that. Yeah. Leia is, Bri is yep. freaking out going, um, oh, wait, so we can't even ask the Senate for help. All right. So uh, what do we do now? What follows is over many days. Days, I guess. It, it's hard to get an idea, but I'm assuming it's only a matter of days. Yeah. They are sending out agents to try and find Leia. And all of a sudden, communications start going out over the planet. And then Alderaan, the planet with no moon, suddenly experiences an eclipse. And as, just imagine, picture Scarif times the entire planet. So you're standing in a castle and everything around you starts scarifying out and things are exploding. They know they are going to die. They don't even have a chance to talk about evacuating people before everything on the planet starts blowing up around them. And all Bria and Bale can do is hold each other while they know they're going to die, but they both know that Leia is alive and that she got out. And this story is freaking devastating <laughs> it, it really is i got a little emotional there towards the end i'm sorry but this is a very upsetting story have you ever seen united 93 mm. i don't think so the movie about the 9-11 the plane that was crashed that landed we're in pennsylvania right that was crash landed the one oh, that they took yeah. down the let's roll plane yeah but the problem it's an incredible film that i will never watch again yeah it sounded like a tough watch i mean it's it's brilliant but from moment one you just feel dread <laughs> and that's what this story is the moment it's like brea organa and you're like oh no mm -hmm. oh god it's well written it's well done and it's great but it's devastating i also like this one because we've never seen this before Mm -hmm. That too. I've always wondered what it was like on Alderaan when this happened. Like, not the destruction itself. And now itself. that I know, I didn't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> not the destruction itself. What did they see? What did they think? What was Alderaan doing at the time? What was Bale doing at the time? Uh, I've always wondered that. So I, I thought that was really cool to kind of present that. Unfortunately, though, it's got a pretty hard out yeah. <laughs> at the end there. I really enjoyed that she'd said that I know. Because in my head, I was like, I have a feeling that that is something that Bria says a lot. And that's why Han says it to Leia. She's like, oh. I thought that too. You know, I'm a big fan of Bail Organa. So mm -hmm. I, I like seeing him. I did think the way it was written, it was a little like... He comes in, he's like, my love, and gives her a hug. Stars, but I missed you and this place, he whispered. 
tilting his head up toward the sky. Bria wanted desperately to allow herself more time to feel relieved, but her grip on his hand tightened. Scarif, are the rumors true? They couldn't possibly be true. Her husband glanced away from her as he lowered his chin and sighed. He seemed to turn paler, a distant, haunted look coming into his eyes. You must not think of that now, he assured her. Their eyes met, and he forced half of a smile. I had so hoped to make this reunion a happier one. But the news I have... He trailed off, and for a moment he looked as if he might be sick. The Senate has been disbanded, she said. We heard days ago, Bale. It's monstrous. I knew the Emperor was bold, but I expected at least a measure of subtlety. The Senate. Bale shook his head, his grip on her tightening. That's not what I must tell you. I thought I knew what I would say, and it's only right that I'm the one to bear the news, but now that it comes to it... Bria was silent, terrified that if she said another word he would only falter again. On the railing, she watched the little beetle succumb to a sudden wind, toppling over, all of his hard work lost and scattered. Bale took in a deep breath, and she watched him grow steadier, but still sickly pale. They had known each other for so long, survived so much, but in all their private mythology, never had she seen him look this way. Her husband... A man of unshakable courage and faith, now shaken to his core. The Tantavi is lost, he whispered. Destroyed. You're home early, yes. Leia's dead. Yeah. Like, it was, it was a little too casual. I think in that situation, a nice little friendly, you know, welcome, you know, honey, I'm home isn't really called for. And not even a, <laughs> I think you should sit down. <laughs> So the good news is, I'm alive. <laughs> I mean, it could have been worse. Yeah. He could have been like, hey, do you remember that burden that Obi-Wan gave us 16 years ago? <laughs> yeah, the good news is, she's not really our kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. We can't be yeah. that attached. I mean, I put her in the rebellion at 16 for crying out loud. I mean, the Jedi really just loaned her to them. It's not like they <laughs> gave him permanently. Her bones hurt. It felt like they were being shaken apart. She lives, Bale said once more. Bria closed her eyes. I know. The mountains rose up, folding toward them, swallowing them whole. She felt her husband's warmth, his breath on her neck. Then the scent of ash and smoke. And in the next moment, oblivion. All right. Well, that takes us back to Gary. All right. My final pick. Anybody who knows me knows I'm an Empire fanboy. I fully admit how much of a bunch of scumbags they are, but I love them. And so I went with Verge of Greatness by Pablo Hidalgo. And it's basically a short story of Grand Moff Tarkin gloating about how he was able to politic away the Death Star away from Krennic. The part that really fascinated me was um, Admiral Mahdi, the guy most famous for getting choked up at the staff meeting. We'll talk about him in a few minutes. Yeah. yeah. Comes to Tarkin and basically <laughs> says, hey, you know, with this, you're now more powerful than the Emperor. And Tarkin's like, 
I know what you're saying. Back that up. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. And then they blow up Alderaan, which we like as you we've said this we see that like twenty times in this book. Then it cuts to basically Krennic on Scarif, who knows that the, the data plant something got out and he would have taken the Death Star down bolt by bolt to find out whatever it was in there. And so it gives us a nice little if Krennic hadn't been screwed over. And he knows Tarkin won't. Yeah. And doesn't know how to. For me, it was just, I always love seeing the political machinations of the Empire. I like the way seeing how it works. I've always been fascinated by it. I mean, they're they're Nazis without being... As racist. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my few bones I picked with, with Zahn, was turning them into... To, you know, I mean, you can be fascist without being racist, but yeah, you know, that's a whole other thing. You know, and Tarkin is one of my favorite characters. He's a completely irredeemable evil SOB, but I love him. And so just seeing this story from his point of view was for me was a ball. It's okay to want to kill everybody as long as you want to kill everybody equally. Right. Absolutely. Just kill everyone. I hate everybody. Everyone! This was definitely a story that benefited, obviously, from Rogue One yes. existing. The best part about it, I do agree, though, was when Mahdi was like, Mahdi swallowed, then spoke. Sir, if I may. This station can destroy any planet you care to select. The entire Starfleet in pitched battle couldn't stop us. Couldn't stop you. You now have in your hand the power of life and death over every living thing in the galaxy. Tarkin waited, saying nothing. Marty continued. Ultimate power. It rests with you now. And with the Emperor, of course, said Tarkin. Spearing Marty with his gaze. To be sure, Governor. Marty quickly replied. That's what I meant. But the Emperor is far from here and you are in actual command. Dude, what's the old man gonna do? Yeah. Uh, You've got the keys to the Death Star. What's the old man? We could go just nuke Coruscant. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting and that Tarkin doesn't even consider it. Mm -hmm. But I think he, he notices. Oh, yeah. I'm certain he thought about it. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm also such a huge fan of Krennic. I hate most of the Imperial and New Republic and Republic middle management characters mm -hmm. we get in these books. He's the best of them. Yeah. And this combination of like his inferiority complex, he's basically new money. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget he only has half a cape. Yes. He's <laughs> the best of them because he's the worst of them. Yes. Yes. He, he's awful, but I really, I really like him. And I do, do think he's a better person than Tarkin. Oh, absolutely. Tarkin's. Yeah. Well, Krennic is all, for Krennic, it's all an engineering and theory problem. It's all about, I want to build this thing because I can, because no one's done it before. Krennic would have weathered the political fallout of depriving the Emperor of his new weapon to ensure it worked flawlessly. Because Krennic was an engineer, Tarkin was not. Tarkin could not fathom the complexity of this creation. Tarkin would instead be consumed by impatience. Tarkin was a politician pretending to be an architect. In the end, Krennic knew it would be his undoing. And Tarkin's like, I want to build this thing so I can blow up planets and make everybody afraid and do what I tell them to do. We will then crush the rebellion with one swift stroke. I just always love when they throw Mahdi in here because I like that Mahdi, is he that ignorant that he can't see the empires being run by an evil space wizard? <laughs> 
he's got a lack of faith. I mean, come on. Apparently a lot of them are. So it is interesting that he's sitting there still serve after after that meeting that he's still I mean, we'll talk about Beth's story. But after that meeting, he's still hanging out Yeah, it's like freaking Mike Pence. Yes. Um, <laughs> All right. So for my last fic, I chose Duty Roster by Jason Fry, in which we get to meet Cole or as he's known, Fake Wedge, who doesn't get picked to be on Team Battle Yavin because I guess there aren't enough ships in the story. Whereas the farm boy and newcomer Wedge and newcomer Biggs all get to go. So he's bitter and throws himself a little temper tantrum. But as he watches the fight goes on, realizes they were the right choice. And in the end, he's proud to be called Fake Wedge. Fake Wedge. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's another dark one, because in the beginning, it's like him and his buddies, and yeah, we're going to do this, and then they all die. <laughs> he just like yeah. watches it, and you're like, eee. It's also a giant meta joke. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In Star Wars, when Luke makes that comment about targeting Womp Rats, the monster, he is talking to a guy that in the script is called Wedge. That's impossible, even for a computer. But it's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than team meters. But it is not the Wedge who is in in Red uh, 2. This is a little bit of a, and that was a casting switch or something that happened. That guy kind of is known colloquially as the fake Wedge. Uh-huh. It's the right kind of meta gag. I also like the depiction of Wedge. Like we know him, we know him a little bit more because of Rebels, and he has been in other stuff. You know, it showed like Wedge is a really good pilot. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, they're going through like all their kill counts and everything, like Wedge is way up there. You know, especially for someone so young. So this story was more of a portrayal of Wedge even than it was of fake Wedge. Right. Well, Wedge is like what the third best pilot in the galaxy. Uh, in the Alliance, probably, at least. Yeah, because it's Luke who cheats with the Force, Han, and then Wedge. If you look at Grounded again, you get all of their kill counts. And Wedge is up there. Pilot, Wedge Antilles, 1,598 flight hours, ace, nine confirmed kills. It was, it was cool, and yes, and then it was also just very funny <laughs> to, uh-huh. to build an entire story about fake Wedge. <laughs> My last one, I went back and forth, but... I knew as soon as I started reading this one, this is probably going to be one I would pick. My next one is Desert Sun by Pierce Brown, who Beth was talking about. This is a story told from the point of view of Luke Skywalker's best friend, Biggs Darklighter. Biggs reflects on his life and how it led him to the Rebel Alliance, including his defection from the Rand Eclectic, which was the Imperial ship he was assigned to after he left the Academy. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, The tale then recounts the Battle of the Oven from inside the cockpit. Um, of Red 3, all the way to Biggs' heroic death at the hands of Darth Vader. I've always been fascinated with Biggs. Ever since I was a kid, the uh, novelization had these scenes with characters that aren't in the movie. Cammy and Fixer, Luke's friends, the stuff that, you know, uh, that we eventually found out were these deleted scenes from the movie. And of course, there's the big scene early on with his best friend, Biggs. I've missed you, kid. Yeah, well, things haven't been the same without you, Biggs. It's been so quiet. I didn't come back just to say goodbye. I shouldn't tell you this, but you're the only one I can trust. See, I may never come back, and I just want someone to know. What are you talking about? I made some friends at the Academy. When our frigate leaves for one of the central systems, we're going to jump ship and join the Alliance. The Rebellion? And those become kind of like a holy grail trying to find those scenes. And, you know, you watch the movie and when Biggs dies, John Williams uses this really devastating music cue, but you don't know who the hell he is. 
So it feels a little weird. In 97, when Lucas makes the special editions, what he does is he puts one big scene back into the movie. After Luke leaves Han uh, and is going to get in his X-Wing, he runs into Biggs and they have a little reunion moment. Hey, Luke! I'll be right up there with you. And if I got stories to tell you, you sure you can handle this shit, sir? Luke is the best bush pilot in the outer rim territories. You'll do all right. Thank you, sir. I'll try. I gotta get aboard. We'll hear all your stories when we get back, all right? All right. Hey, Biggs. I told you I'd make it someday. It'll be like old times, Luke. They'll never stop us. And that kind of reestablished their relationship into the movie. It's still not as extensive as it is in the original script. It put that relationship back front and center in the movie. And so I really liked getting this point of view of Biggs. My only problem with it was I want to know the story of him defecting. Mm-hmm. And this was a perfect opportunity to at least tell me kind of what happened. And instead, they completely gloss over it in a sentence. But I just enjoyed being inside Red 3. We're going in. We're going in full throttle. That'll keep those fighters off our back. Right with you, boss. Luke, at that speed, will you be able to pull out in time? It's just like Beggar's Canyon back home. Yes, we had to see the Battle of Yavin from a different, many different points of view. This is the one I enjoyed the most just because it's the character that I was most interested in and the character that I believe that the Disney canon has done nothing with so far. I know nothing about Pierce Brown as a Star Wars fan. I know that he has written a series of books that I very much enjoy about people growing up on Mars. So I know he knows how to write desert people. (laughs) I don't know how much he knows about Star Wars and its characters. And I don't know. I can't imagine they would just pick somebody who just, hey, you wrote about a desert planet. Here's some Star Wars. Uh, They can't have just picked him for that. You hope. No, I thought this book, I thought all the writers felt fairly literate in Star Wars. Yeah. So he's got to know Star Wars to some extent to have even been invited because otherwise they would just be calling up. Let's get Stephen King to write a Star Wars story. (laughs) Yeah, I said I don't know anything about him. I really enjoyed the story. And like I said, I just um, it's a character that I wish we spent a little more time with. I wish there was a way to really restore the original scenes, the opening scenes from A New Hope. Uh, the only copies that exist are from work prints. So. And they're on Disney Plus, so if you've never seen them, you can see them. It's, it's almost to the point, though, with this, where I feel like there might be hands tied for a future something. Maybe. I just think, like, when, when we talk about something else later, I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about those scenes, because... Uh, that's going to come up in conversation a little later. That was my last story, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a really good one, and for pretty much all the reasons you listed, it's like, I, I feel the same way. Biggs was always one of those, who's that guy? I'd like to know more about him. Oh, he's gone. Well, the movie tells you he's important, mm-hmm. but he's not important mm-hmm. in the movie. Like, at least the, the original cut, or, or the theatrical cut, he's not important. He's slightly more important in the special edition, but even then, that almost felt like fan service because he hadn't been established. All of a sudden, Luke's got a best friend, and if you don't know the backstory, it feels a little out of the blue. The Force is strong in this one. Luke, trust me. His computer's off. Luke, you switched off your targeting computer. What's wrong? Nothing. I'm all right. All right, Beth. All right. I have chosen an incident report. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. By Daniel M. Lavery. Lavery? Lavery? 
I don't know. Regardless, the hands down funniest story of this book. Yeah. It is all from the point of view of Admiral Mahdi after he gets force choked by Darth Vader for expressing his uh, lack of belief in the force. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the force. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes, or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. I find your lack of faith disturbing. And apparently Admiral Mahdi files a report with... <laughs> with Imperial HR. Death Star HR. You may or may not have already reviewed the footage. It's my opinion that attempted murder at a meeting of the Joint Chiefs of the Galactic Empire merits a thorough personal investigation by the members of High Command. It's a big place. They got to have an HR department. He files a report complaining about it and wanting to make sure that they understand he is not attacking Darth Vader's beliefs. <laughs> I'm not a bigot. I He is entitled to his beliefs. I myself am a man of faith. <laughs> My home system has over 300 religious traditions that are all recognized by the Empire. <laughs> Wikipedia has one quote that I'm going to use, and then I have another one that I personally enjoy. The Wikipedia one is, Whatever conclusions you ultimately draw about the incident taking place between myself and Lord Vader during yesterday morning's briefing, he was wrong. And trying to crush someone else's windpipe doesn't make you any less wrong, <laughs> if you're wrong to begin with. Which he was. I do not concede the argument. <laughs> Talking about later, during the Death Star destruction, number of planets destroyed by the Force? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> number of planets destroyed by the Death Star? One. <laughs> Mahdi has an excellent, excellent point. And he is willing to go to some sort of mitigation or even some sort of like religious sit-in with Vader <laughs> to work these issues out. Lord Vader, for some reason, took issue with my idea that we used the weapon we had only recently finished building, suggested that we take less pride in our military achievements as an organization, and once again loudly evangelized his specific religious beliefs. I may have been heated in my response. <laughs> Do you know what's so great about this story? It is incredibly funny and yet is absolutely works and is mm -hmm. in character. It doesn't break anything. It's not it's going for last, but not in such an obvious way as let's say one of the late, the final story yeah. of this book does. Uh, yeah, it's very funny, but also completely fits and makes sense. And yeah, it's a little snarky. And, and yes, would they do they really have an HR department? Who knows? But it's taking the, the wind out of things without completely destroying the sale. What was so great is the how the author was able to capture the corporate speak of like, now I'm complaining about this, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm just saying, but it's OK. I ask him to refrain from interrupting my meetings and insisting I kowtow before this force of his. I also, as I stated before, 
object to his choking me. He rides this line where at the end of the day, he actually doesn't say anything. Yeah. It's funny without tearing anything down. Mm. Yeah, it's not a satire. And without being negative or antagonistic about anything about Star Wars. It's it's just if this character were that bureaucratic, this is how they would act. It's absolutely how they would act. They would go to HR and say, this guy force choked me and I feel like that was inappropriate for the workplace. <laughs> and he and he should have used his words. <laughs> and Lord Vader, how does that make you feel? Yes. <laughs> this one was a home run. I think it's the best one in the book. Sorry, I stole it. It's super high concept. So that is a little dangerous. If it works, then it pays off really well. And in this case, it does. There are several stories in this book that just tell you a straight story. And there are several that take chances and tell you the story in a different way. And some of them succeed and some of them fail. And this is the one, one of the ones that makes a formalistic decision as to how it's going to deliver the story and does a really good job of it. Yeah, well, I mean, you can compare it directly to the one um, Born in the Storm, which is also an incident report from the point of view of a stormtrooper who goes, F this. Yeah. And that one is okay, but it doesn't work as well for me. Because the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, there's no way this guy is filing this report. Were any officers injured during this incident? One can only hope. Please list all officers injured during this incident. I'd really rather not, actually. Are you an officer? If no, skip the following question. No. Were you injured in this incident? No, he just took off. He didn't file a report. He was just like, peace out. Take this empire and shove it. <laughs> I'm stripping off my armor, my armor and running off into the desert. All right. So I think we probably have time for a, a quick honorable mention apiece and a quick, you know what? Let's start with a dishonorable mention apiece <laughs> so that we can end it on a positive note. I think there are three that are clearly the worst. So we'll, let's see how we how we do this. Gary, go ahead. All right. I think Chad is going to agree with me on this. As much as I really did dislike Wills, I have to give it to the Baptist. That is just one of the dumbest damn things I've you ever You probably read. took his. <laughs> oh, I don't care. I mean, just the fact, I mean, this is, again, I was talking earlier at the beginning, like uh, the, you're always afraid there's going to be this story that, no, this side character is actually the most important. This is a little bit of that and just a little bit of I'm trying to make something that was a throwaway piece, super vital, important that the creature in the trash compactor was there because the force guided it there to dunk Luke into sewer water, basically, to mm -hmm. awaken him to the force in some way. And I'm reading this mm -hmm. going, what? Yeah, wait, what? <laughs> in case you didn't know, Dianoga are apparently force sensitive. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It's terrible. I didn't need to know that it was force sensitive. I did not want this story. I did not need this story. I did not enjoy this story. It was just bad. It wasn't even particularly like poorly told. It was just dead on a ride. Like the conceit was just terrible. Yeah, it just didn't matter. And the fact that it's happy when the Death Star blows up because this is my whole point of being like, oh, God, just shoot me. <laughs> Sometimes a garbage octopus is just a garbage octopus. Yeah. Shrek, you've been quiet for too long. All right. So the one I'm going to say is not necessarily a bad story, but one I was disappointed in. And that is the Cluehorn Cantina Cape. Mm. I think I, out of all the stories, it was the one I was probably the most excited to read because it's by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction, who are two of my absolute favorite comic book writers. And it just drags on and it's long. And it's one of those where like at the end, everybody is in the cantina and they're all related there for the same reason. And 
It's just one of those too convenient things that goes on too long. Hey, but that story does bring uh, Bay Arthur back into canon. Just one more round, friend. That homeward bound, friend. Don't forget me in your dreams. Just one more song, friend. And then so long, friend. The nights get shorter, it seems. It does. It does. And listen, it's not that it's necessarily bad. Like, it's, it's a decent story. I was just disappointed by it. I know what Beth wants to yell about, so I'm, I'll go ahead and take Will's. Um, <laughs> which is the final story of this book. It's not really a story. It's more of a SNL skit. Yeah. It's from the point of view of here. Here's where a meta joke can go bad. It's about these two guys that work for the Will's or are the Will's or whatever. And they're writing the opening crawl for A New Hope. It's them bickering comedically over the wording and how to phrase and what to tell. It makes makes jokes at the fact that why are we starting the story in the middle and the, all this and all this. It is self-conscious and meta and self-aware to a point of annoying. It's also not very funny and it's a bad way to go out. It's just a bad way to go out. I wanted to throw my Kindle across the room when I was reading it. It was just yeah bad. It's just it's too cute by half. It's just yeah. too cute. It's not as clever as it thinks it is either. And it's it's well sold as well as sold as it could be by Mark Thompson and Jonathan Davis. But oh, they fun. can only do. So, I'm sorry. It's, that sounds fun. Having them both do it. I didn't think they can that. only do so much. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, I mean, it's not really that far away, is it? What are you talking about? Far, far away. I'm saying it's far, but not far, far. Uh, I mean, if anything, I'd say it's a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. Yeah, well, the rest of the wills asked me to write this, not you. So it's going to say a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I had to finish the second half of the book on my Kindle because uh, I read faster than the audiobook, and I was running out of time. I mean, they do they do a great job with the voices, but they can only do so much with the material. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Wait, that was it? What about Urso? What about K2SO? I'm planning to start with R2D2 and C3PO. <laughs> okay, now you're just being crazy. You're gonna skip over K2SO, the best droid ever, and start with a protocol droid? What the hot dude? I mean, R2, yes, he's awesome. But if you're gonna skip anybody, you should skip C3PO. All he does is whine. I can't skip him. He's really important on Endor. Endor? Wait a minute. You're not putting in the teddy bears, are you? They're not teddy bears. The Ewoks are fierce warriors. The top of the food chain on a savage planet. Beth, what 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 do you have against blue milk cheese? <laughs> All right. So first, did you listen to the audio version I of did. this story? I did. Yes. The voice is grating. Mm -hmm. And that's not really the biggest problem. The, the story is... Baru White Sun Lars. So they don't even give you like a good a good story to go with her. Nothing about her husband. Nothing about her life. Why is it not called Baru Cheese? <laughs> 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 
The dumbest part of this is that it's almost like it's a force ghost, Baru. Yeah. It's a posthumous. It's a ghost story. She's dead. Yeah. Yeah, that's what she thinks about when she's dead. I could have made blue milk cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's That's what you reflect upon at the end of your life. This cafe owner once told me I made the best blue milk <laughs> cheese he ever had. See, Beth already has a problem with blue milk in general. So it's God, just, I wasted it's just, my it's life. Just, just jabbing her with a stick. Mm-hmm. I understand the fact that the blue milk cheese is representing not being with that asshole Owen. Yeah. So at least like there's there's a little bit of that where she's ruminating on the life that she could have had if she wasn't stuck with this man. To make her, I don't know, uh, sympathetic was the fact that whoever was voicing her in this audio story made her sound kind of like a like the cigarette old lady in Futurama <laughs> oh. who wants to go to Nutley. It was pretty rough and it, it just felt. I don't know, it felt demeaning and regressive a little bit, too. Yeah. Like, you know, Baru's we get we finally get into Baru's head and she's a frustrated homemaker. Yeah. And that's all there is to her. A potential cheesemaker. Potential cheesemaker. Uh, we, we can just list off a couple that we like, right? One I like, and it's not a horror story I like the most, just some of the details and End of Watch. Mm. I really liked where it just kind of pointed out, like, the Death Star is so big. Most people don't know what's happening. Like, she's just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, there's some <laughs> ship or something I heard about. I don't know. I'm trying to fill out my reports and go home. Like, yeah, <laughs> I did like that. I had a couple I wrote down. I liked I kind of liked the mouse and men of Maelstrom of MSE six and men. MSE six and yes. men. Yeah, which is respect. I respected the way it was told. It was from the point of view of the mouse droid that Chewbacca almost steps on. <laughs> I liked it from the point of view of TK-421 only got his job because he was banging somebody real high up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see that him oh, that's are, right. Uh, definitely a thing. I'm now going to record a message for your master. The stormtrooper designated TK-421. And I'm going to place an item inside your cargo bay, which you will deliver to him along with the hollow message I am about to record. Well, 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 well. Isn't that... Isn't that just something, G7? I mean, you don't receive a hollow message like that every day. Looks like I caught someone's eye, G7. <laughs> Which is always flattering. I'm not gonna lie. Still got it. He was in maintenance, and he got promoted because he was banging... I mean, by the voice acting, it's implied that it's Turkin. It's a high up. It's a high it's up a high, op- it's officer. It's a high up guy, but he's it is a male. It is a male senior officer of some sort. Yeah. But suddenly he gets promoted from maintenance to, uh, oh, hey, all of a sudden I'm in security. I've got to go on watch. And he's talking to his mouse droid the whole time. Gets him killed. Huh? Hey down there. Could you give us a hand with this? I was thinking when I was reading this, is TK-421 or which whichever stormtrooper, is that the first person Luke ever killed? I think so. Yeah. I enjoyed Gary Wood as Ramus. Yeah, that was a good one. And then there's Added Muscle, which is the Boba Fett one, which isn't great. It's the Paul Denny one. It's the one narrated by John Hamm. Yeah, I, I really did not like that one because it felt like a guy who thinks that they know what a tough guy sounds like. But see, I think that's what I liked about it is that 
it's referencing the fact that Boba Fett was shoved into the special edition for no reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Right. And he has that moment where he basically looks at the camera. Lucas is like, all right, you guys like Boba Fett? Fine. He's in Star Wars now. That's what the story felt like. I like that it was John Hamm. So all of a sudden it was like a voice that we never heard on any of the other stories. Meanwhile, Solo plays for time. Same old song and dance. I'll pay you tomorrow for a charter I'm taking today. Garbage. He'll run at the first chance and I'll chase him down. Fine by me. The more I work, the more I'll make Jabba pay for the pirate's head. Not that I really have anything against the big slug. His money's just as good as anyone's and better than most. But business is business. And we both know to press the advantage when we have it. Mama Fett didn't raise any fools. Strictly speaking, my mama was a birthing pod, but you get the point. The whole point of the story was that he was kind of unnecessarily shoved in. <laughs> and that's well, and John, what he was. And John Hamm's reading felt kind of like, I know I'm unnecessary. I know I don't need yeah, you. Yeah. What so, up? What are so, you going to do about it? You lead a charmed life, Solo. And I'd very much like to change that. You too, Wook. That auburn scalp of yours will make a fine trophy. Someday. Right now, Jabba just said, Baska. And when the boss says, Baska, we Baska. As long as he's in a generous mood, I'll hit him up for a mug of that fine brew. After today, I could use one. And uh, the last one I wanted to mention real quick was uh, by Whatever Son, the uh, the one by Ashley Eckstein and E.K. Johnson that uses a character from the Ahsoka novel as a as a rebel and gives you what you've always wanted, which is what was it like to be in the audience while Luke and Han were getting their medals? Yeah. Well, you you took mine. That was that was my one. Was uh, MSC Six and Men. I like that one. I I can't really think of any others that, that we haven't talked about. Um, I want to hear about because I think Gary wants to say something about Lena. What was your problem with Lena? Lena for me was a really good story until he punches us right in the gut because it's the story of the guy up on the pole on Yavin 4 who watches, you know, with the binoculars walking stuff coming in and out. And we get the story of how he joined the rebellion because his wife got killed by the Empire. And he, so he ran off with his daughter, goes to Yavin 4, and he's like, oh my God, the Empire is coming. They're going to kill us all. So I'm sending my daughter away to be safe. And he's writing her a letter about, here's why we joined the rebellion. And here's, so here, I'm probably going to die. Here's something to remember me by. And I hope you have a great time on Alderaan with your fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, son of a bitch. Yeah. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> it almost felt like a bridge too far. Yeah. You know? Like it felt like a little almost like kind of cruel and dark for the sake of being cruel and dark. Yeah. And not 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 in service of anything greater. It was just a little like oh Henry-ish twist at the end. And the other one I really also liked was again sticking with my empire theme, fully operational, where we see Taggy going, whoa. Shit's getting real. <laughs> Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. What's an idea for a story, an idea you have for a story that you think would have been a good fit in this book? I think one of the characters I would have liked to see more is Owen. I had the idea of like, you know, you can see people coming from a mile away on the old large family home. So I think a cool story would have been Owen can see the stormtroopers coming and he knows what's going to happen. Like kind of written from his perspective, like, yep, always knew this day was going to come and then being okay with it. A little dignity for him. 
Yeah. That is absolutely the exact same thing I was going to say. I think that was a missed opportunity. That is honestly the only thing I wrote down. Everybody else, I feel like we got too much of or enough of. Owen uncovered. I mean, we could have left out Baru and covered Owen. The image of Owen looking off and seeing the stormtroopers coming, you're right, would have been a very like, and that would have been straight out of a Western. Right. You know, when like the homesteader like looks up thinking uh, the beginning of the greatest Western of all time, Once Upon a Time in the West, where like mm-hmm. the homesteader's there and he looks up and all of a sudden the bad guys like come out of the bushes mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, crap, we're dead. The only one I can really think of is it would have been interesting to see the, the Owen bit. But aside from that, it's like we've covered like just about everybody. I mean, we got the stupid long snout spy guy. It would have been interesting maybe to see I like something. That one. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, it would have been interesting maybe to see something from the point of view of the guy who rented out the dock to Han. That have I mean, that one could have been funny. Of I've got all these dead stormtroopers now. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed? To- would it be Tracy Ullman? No, yeah, oh, could be. <laughs> or and the only other one would have been. And I don't know if they would have been able to get away with it, but let's see Chopper and Hera on Yavin 4. We know they were there. Yeah, they could have done that too. Uh Yeah, they could have given us a Hera story. Shockingly, I have a couple. I'll go through them real fast. But first of all, yes, I would have liked to have seen more about Biggs' defection. Cammy and Fixer and the rest of the Tashi Stason gang, I think we still could have checked in with them. Maybe on the day Luke's supposed to go pick up the power converters. Mm -hmm. I would love a story about the prisoner in the cell next to Leia who thinks he's being rescued. (laughs) pirate or somebody not a rebel that's too dark but like a pirate or some kind of criminal who's in the thing and the whole story is him like telling you the tale of how his crew got in here and what they're doing right now out in the hallway to save him and then everything goes quiet (laughs) and he's still in his cell but more than anything and this is a main character thing but i think it fits with the book i want to be inside the cockpit while chewbacca convinces han to turn around Mm mm-hmm yeah. I want to see the moment where Han turns around. You know, Chewie's just nagging his ear off <laughs> about it. It's either Chewie nagging his ear off or it's Han justifying it out loud to Chewbacca as he's saying nothing. <laughs> right. And yeah. Han talks himself into it. So yeah. Chewie already knows they're going to turn around <laughs> like and he's just waiting for Han to make the call. Yeah, I think something like that. You could have worked in. I mean, this is pre solo, so I guess you couldn't have worked in references to Kira and stuff necessarily. Yeah, but, I think I think they were steering clear of the main characters for a reason. They were. Uh, and the only other one I wrote down was I wanted to see I wanted to watch 3PO as R2 is being repaired by the rebel base people and just being like a helicopter mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must repair him, sir. If any of my circuits or gears will help, I'll gladly donate them. He'll be all right. They do do a good job. They do cover a lot of different things. Like I said, I scanned through the movie to see, like, is there any character we missed here or there? Not really. I would like to see more with Bale. And like, and they've kind of done this before, but just looking at Bale, like he's not just sending the Death Star plans to Obi-Wan, he's sending him Leia. Yeah. yeah. What that means. And then my other one, which would just be a short joke one and probably could go really bad fast is I want a story of someone that is too short to be a stormtrooper. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a steve rogers thing I, i've tried six different places to get into the empire i just keep picturing bart showing up for the um fallout boy tryouts <laughs> with his giant lifts chad on your story about mm-hmm. han and chewy could it just be nothing but when you read it chewy wookie noises and <laughs> yeah. han responding as you don't really know what he said yeah <laughs> How about this? Maybe they came back just because Han forgot his dice. (laughs) (laughs) 
And like, and they stumbled into it and they're like, ah, oh, this shit's still going on. I thought, I thought we were going to get back in time. Uh, Ryan, the language is called Shiriwook. I, yeah, I think he just goes, yeah, I know, I know. And then just turns the ship around. <laughs> I think they would sit in complete silence and Han would tell him to shut up. Yeah. Shut up, I'm going. What are you looking at? I know what I'm doing. Just wait till we get to the Empire version. If you want to know what a Wampa thinks about... <laughs> boy, are you in for a treat. Are they Force-sensitive, too? No, but they're voiced by Sam Witwer if you get the audiobook. Ooh. That's a sexy Wampa. I'm assuming there's a Return of the Jedi one on the way. I am assuming. Yes. I haven't read anything about it, but I'm assuming two years from now we'll get a, a Jedi version. Yeah, they got to be writing now. No, I'm looking forward to the Empire one because there's even kind of more more new nooks and crannies and stuff to play in. There but, will be um, a Lobot story. I guarantee it. I've already read it, so I'm not going to spoil a thing. Is there a Lobot story written by Charles Sewell? Uh, that I don't remember. I just know that there are two stories read by Sam Witwer. <laughs> You know, somebody, when they were writing this Empire one, too, was writing something about the ice cream maker and was really excited and then saw the Mandalorian and was like, come on. There's absolutely a Wilbur Hood story. I might add that the planet Alderaan was selected, targeted and destroyed, all without the aid of Lord Vader's precious force. Thanks entirely to the competence, diligence and efficiency of the Death Star operations team. I have no further comment on the matter. Gary Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Where can we find you out in the world? Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I always uh, love talking Star Wars and I love listening to you guys. So it's a nice change to not be screaming at my podcast player as you guys are talking <laughs> for a change. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter at Gary underscore Mitchell. That's Mitchell with one L. Uh, yes, Star Trek fans, that is my real name. And you can find me every Thursday night on YouTube as part of the Dragon Con American Sci-Fi Classics track at 9 p.m. Eastern, where we do an hour-ish every week talking about random pop culture stuff from the the good old days. And you can find us in the chat trolling. Yes. And Gary, you can always, always yell at us. If you're tired of, let's say, Ryan's chiss puns. <laughs> <laughs> he says he's already got his chiss pun for the third book. Oh, it's so good, too. Totally not tired of them. Maybe when we get to the Empire book, uh, Gary can join us again. Yeah. It's hard to ask people to be on the show because the prerequisite is you got to read a novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people don't always have time for that. So. True that. That reminds me, I wanted to ask you guys, I've got Tarkin. Should I read it or should I skip it? Oh, you should yes. totally read it because we are it. doing it. Oh, if you're going to do uh, I, 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 dibs, <laughs> you're on. It's a James Lucino book. So mm. we're always willing to, and you know, we love our Lucino. We do uh, love our Lucino. But you know what? We, who we also love, Beth? I believe we also love Claudia Gray a lot. So next week, my favorite book of hers and the book that kind of got me on the Claudia Gray bandwagon. I'm going to read Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which is one of my favorite books of the Disney era. It's a story about, about Leia. It's not really even her first term in the Senate. It's like when she's like, she's like part of like junior UN or something like that. Model UN almost. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the story. The re OK, I didn't pitch it because I I really want to write it. I want a narrative story telling the story that Owen tells Luke about how his father died. Mm. No, my father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter. 
That's what your uncle told you. I want a story about Anakin Skywalker, navigator on a spice freighter. And I want it to be the story that Luke grew up thinking about his father, because that's going to tell you a lot about his character as well. Okay, that's I had a whole thing written down about his father was a navigator on a spice freighter, and we never asked any questions about that. Okay, here's how it could have gone down. Mm hmm. In, in my head, he does like it. It's kind of like a Chris Hemsworth at the beginning of the first J.J. Star Trek, mm. you know, where he ends up like saving, like saving the crew, but dying in the process or something. Luke had to ask how he died, right? Yeah. <laughs> like he had to ask at some point. Well, there's that moment when he asks Obi-Wan. How did my father die? All of a sudden, he realizes that everything he's been told is a lie, including that. And so that's his first question out of everything. If everything I've been told is a lie, tell me, please, what happened to my father? No mention at all of my mother. Yeah. <laughs> Luke never seems to worry about where his mother is. I have no memory of my mother. Look, she was sad. Move on, kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Gary, for joining us. We do hope you will join us again. And thank you to everyone listening tonight. We hope you will also join us again. That's all I got. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger.